My name is Erica Jordan-Thomas. I am CEO and founder of EJT Consulting LLC and Get Launch Consulting. And I am so excited to be in conversation with Vanity Jenkins tonight, who is an alum of Get Launch Consulting. And she has launched her own consulting business, Shifted Consulting, which we're going to learn more about tonight and learn more about her journey. Uh, Show Vanity some love in the chat. And as y'all are doing that, Vanity, welcome and uh, share with us your education movie trailer. Tell us about your education story. So like Erica said, my name is Vanity Jenkins, the founder and principal consultant of Shifted. And I am a cohort two graduate of Get Launched Ed with Erica. I started off my career, like many folks in education, as a teacher I taught in the Mississippi Delta for four years. Then I moved back to my home state of South Carolina where I was a coach. I did lots of different work there. I was a coach. I led our coaching team, really grounded in culturally relevant pedagogy and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then eventually I led our recruitment, coaching, programming institute and alumni teams. Really, really loved that work. And then I got the opportunity to work with school principals. So I took a position in Dallas where I was coaching school principals, their executive directors, and the assistant superintendents who coached the executive directors. All throughout this time, lots and lots of people were telling me, you should launch a consulting business. You should get into consulting. And I heard it And I was like, yeah, I should, but never took that step. And then one day I saw a post from Erica about the program she was launching. And I was like, this is exactly what I need, what will help me stop talking about it and actually get up and do it. So I was able to do that this summer. And within two months, I launched my consulting business. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) First off, you're getting so much love in the chat. You definitely have a fan club. I was telling Vanny Lee this earlier. Every time I post about her, there's Someone in in my comments who I learned knows her and loves her as much as I do. And so I'm so excited to be in conversation with you tonight and to learn more about your story and your business. So let's start with the problem your business is solving. So what problem is Shifted Consulting solving? So our vision is a huge one, and that is to eradicate racism and anti-Blackness from organizations across America. I am a very visionary person. And so when I decided to go into this, I wanted to make sure that it was a vision that was going to continually inspire me and really keep me grounded and centered. And so we work with organizations, nonprofits, for-profit businesses, really to help leaders unpack their own institutionalized racism, really understand the way white supremacy culture functions at both individual and institutional level and start to help leaders make different decisions that are really grounded in equity. Awesome. And so, and how do you all do that? What are some of the services that you provide? So we provide lots and lots of different services. One thing that I do want to be clear about is we are not a one-stop shop. So you're not going to come and say, we want one training on equity and that's it for the rest of the year, because that is not how you really get to equitable solutions. And so we work long-term with organizations doing everything from equity audits, coaching the senior leadership team. And that's something that is often a non-negotiable for me because if you are only doing this type of programming with people who are junior or entry level, you're never going to have the sustainable change that you want to see because leadership is making decisions on a daily basis. And so you really have to start at the top. And so one of the things that I do when I'm vetting organizations is 
have a lot of conversations with their leadership team and really understand where they are and if they're ready to engage in this work, because it'll take a shift in how you are doing your day-to-day functions, how you're doing your strategy, your long-term planning. All of those things are going to have to change. One thing um, I often tell people is that the quick and easy decision is almost always an inequitable one. And so if we really want to make sure that equity is at the center of what we're doing, we have to take the time, we have to get rid of that urgency culture, and we have to really think through what are the implications of this decision and how is it going to affect not only me, but the people I work with and ultimately the people that I'm serving. So we coach leadership teams, we provide professional development for the leadership team, as well as the whole organization. I also did a, a restorative circle and a healing circle earlier this week with an organization. You know, 2020 has been a lot for all of us. And so mm-hmm. this organization wanted to start off their planning for next year with the healing circle. And so that was something that I was able to offer. But really, it just depends on what the organization needs. And I'm able to adapt and craft a plan that is going to help them get where they need to be with equity as a focal point of what they're trying to do moving forward. Ooh, <laughs> you said so much. And someone put in the comments, I see what you did there, a shift. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this Twitter gem of that the quick and easy answer is often an equitable one that is worthy of a pause. And it's so true. And even just hearing the way that you talk about your work, it's so clear that this is your zone of genius, which um, we've talked about throughout this week. And so someone asked in the spirit of, of knowing that this is your zone of genius, and it's so clear by the way you talk about it and the way it just flows with clarity and passion. Someone asked, how did you decide on the focus of your consulting business? Like, was it really, really clear when you were launching or did you kind of have to like swirl around and do some reflecting? Talk to us around the journey of like, how did you narrow down on what your focus would be in your business? I've always been grounded in equity. So when I I was in college, I majored in Africana studies and women's and gender studies. So essentially I majored in myself. Um, I didn't know that how much I was going to use that once I got into the classroom and how it was going to help me really unpack curriculum in a different way really understand what my students and families needed in a different way. And so that basis has really helped me in my career in general. I studied a lot of critical race theory in college. And so when I went to launch this consulting business, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I remember having conversations with Erica because I was like, well, I coach teachers for a while, so I could do something that's just around coaching teachers. I also worked with principals, so I could do something around working with principals. And nothing really felt right. I still felt Mm -hmm. like I was missing a piece of what it is that I wanted to do. And since this wasn't, you know, my nine to five job and I had the freedom and flexibility to really make it true to who I was, I was able to expand my vision to make it something that was going to mean something to me. And so, like I said, I work with businesses across sectors and organizations across Cross sectors because everywhere, you know, there's an equity everywhere, not only in this country, but worldwide. And so, as long as I'm able to work with people who are really, really looking to unpack the way that inequity is showing up in their organization and make a commitment to end racism, anti blackness, and oppression at their institutions, that is what really fuels me. This is what's so fascinating because I was just having this conversation with another alum earlier today, how as educators, 
the profession actually requires us to be a master of many things. Mm -hmm. So like we actually have to build skill sets and knowledge and mindsets and competencies in so many different areas that that's what makes it so hard when we transition to be CEOs of our own consulting business of like being able to narrow down on, well, which one of the many hats that I wear am I, am I going to build my business around? And part of this is, you know, what I hear you naming is like, there is a deep, deep core value and experience that you have related to equity, related to anti-racist leadership, related to DEI work, that this isn't something that you just started, you know, a couple of years ago, or even, you know, when you just got into education, like this has actually been a part of your story, mm-hmm. a part of your identity, a part of like who you are. And I think that's so important around reflecting of given your journey and experiences, what are the things that are part of your personal and professional DNA mm-hmm. and my, and the things that excite you, that like give you energy because does, and I'm, I'm making an assumption that I'm going to test here. <laughs> Do you get energy in the same way from like the coaching teachers and principals outside of equity or does, do, is there a different level of energy that this equity anti-racist work brings for you? I'm just curious of, of if you notice a difference in your energy between these different areas. Everything that I do is grounded in the equity. So even when I'm coaching a teacher, it's very hard for me to come into a classroom and say, we're only going to talk about your lesson plan because I'm immediately going to think of, you know, eight different questions to ask the teacher is it grounded in equity? My mom often makes jokes with me because whether I go to the movies or watch TV or whatever, I'm always picking up on things. I just started watching Ballers and I love the show. Great show. It's really funny. But I was in like season two and I was like, well, mom, why are all of the black women such stereotypical characters? And she's like, can't you just watch something and enjoy it? And I was like, no, I can't. Like we got the mammy here. We got this one. Um, And so everything that I do is really grounded in that process. But I did find so much more energy when I was really able to own that this was my gift. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that was a challenge for me, and I think a lot of women of color in general, is that we're socialized to be very humble. You know, we're socialized not to talk about our gifts or our strengths. I still get a little queasy if I give verbal praise, you know, at work. It just feels very foreign to me. So I had to really fight through those feelings to say, no, I do. I actually do have a lot that I can share on this topic and really get comfortable and confident saying that because I wasn't initially. I'm like, you know, there's a thousand people who are more experienced than me. Why would anyone come to my company? What do I know that somebody else doesn't know? And so I really had to fight through that in order to get to a place where I was able to say, I am going to open this company. I do have a perspective and I do have things that I know that I can share with others. Oh, you're you're getting us into the mindset work. (laughs) because that's been a theme all week and it's a theme in entrepreneurship of the mindset work is the hardest part of this journey because it's the foundation of everything and so I'm hearing you starting to talk about that and you use the language if I had to fight through these mindsets talk to us around like what did that look like so it would be helpful if you could directly name what those mindsets were and then what the actual fighting of the mindset looks like for you i think there were two that were most prominent so one was just my mindset around money and charging people for things so i remember going into the course erica does one of the courses around your pricing 
And so when I was using the tool that she gave us, I was like, nobody's going to pay me this much per hour. Like, and should I even be charging this much? What do I really know? I can't charge anybody this much. So that was one that I, I'm still fighting, but I'm doing a lot better. And then the second is just, again, this expertise lens that I think. And so for me, you know, I have a bachelor's, I have a master's, I've done this work for a long time, but I felt like, well, I don't have a PhD, so maybe I shouldn't do it until I get a PhD or I don't have this certification yet, or I don't have, it was always a yet. And so Mm -hmm. I really had to think through all of those things can be true. I don't have a PhD yet. I don't have XYZ yet. And at the same time, there were so many people in my life who were able to share, you know, feedback on something that I had coached them on or feedback on a session that I designed and facilitated for them. And so I had a body of work that was counter to my own internal process. And so my Mm. internal process was saying, you're too young, you're not ready, you don't have the expertise, even Mm. though I had evidence to show otherwise. Mm. And so I had to really sit with that and think through, why am I doing this? You know, like, why am I second guessing myself, even though my circle is pumping me up, telling me to do it and has been telling me to do it for years. And I'm still just kind of sitting here in the in-between. And again, a lot of that, I think, is because I'm a woman, I'm a Black woman, you know, oldest child raised to take care of others and not really think about myself. And so I had to, one, invest in myself through going through the course that you offered and really think through, What is holding me back? If I was, you know, there's lots of merch around have the confidence of a mediocre white man, right? Mediocre white man didn't think twice. And I've been thinking on this for four years and haven't done anything. And so I just had to take that risk and really bet on myself. In terms of money, so I remember the first time I got a contract and I was so scared and nervous. Like me and money Mm -hmm. just have an interesting relationship, I would say. And there was like, there were no questions from the organization about my pricing. And I'm thinking, you know, someone's going to pay me this. This is a ridiculous amount. So then I'm like, well, am I charging too low? (laughs) So I spoke to some other consultants who were in the field and got to a place where I felt really comfortable about the prices that I was offering. And again, I've never gotten from an organization. That's too much. We can't pay you. It's really about me. It's not about the organization. And I think one of the other things that was really important in your course is saying, you know, once you get comfortable on what that price is, you don't have to bargain and negotiate. If an organization isn't willing to pay your price, that's okay. You can work with somebody else. And so, you know, that that has been really, really helpful for me. Oh my gosh. Oh, vanity, you said it's like... <sighs> I'm like one of those, I'm like slightly dramatic. So every time like you drop, you're dropping a gym, I'm like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so there's something that you said that I want to pull out was that, you know, a strategy that you use to be able to, to address and do your mindset work. And so, well, the first thing that I'll name is like the mindset work is ongoing. It will never end. It, it is it, with every new level in your business you will conquer new mindsets. The money mindset journey happens when you're setting your pricing, when you're first launching. It will happen when you hire your first employee. It will happen when you have to scale and you have to invest more in systems in order to grow. It happens at every single level in your business. And one of the things that you named as a strategy to help you do that ongoing mindset work is actually researching. And so part of our pricing, some of the struggles that we have when we're setting pricing is we're pulling numbers out of the air and we actually haven't done research 
on what are other people in this market typically charging. And that's what builds our confidence. We'll say, oh, if so-and-so is charging that, and especially if you've, you've been engaged with their services and you're like, it wasn't that good. <laughs> and I know what I'm bringing this week. Right. Oh, yeah. Let me go ahead and set this number. I'm going to feel about it in this type of way. And then when you do that, what I loved of what you said is there's a new level of confidence when you've done the research. Mm -hmm. So that way you're stepping into a conversation because every contract is a negotiation. And so when you're clear on the market value of what you're bringing to the client, you're clear on the window of a negotiation. So if you know the market is charging at a particular rate and someone is below that, you're like, actually, I'm not willing to compromise. Or I know that this is what other people are charging, you feel more confident in your worth. And so I really, really appreciate you naming this strategy because I think that's where so many of us um, make missteps is we just pull numbers out of the air without actually doing the research. And some of that means that we as consultants have to have conversations about our rates. Yeah. And we have to talk about our rates with each other. So it's important to have that squad. Yeah. So Vanity, you started to talk about this. Talk, tell us a little bit more about your first consulting contract. How did you find your first client? So all of my clients so far have been through referrals, which again, just speaks to the network of folks that I had who were ready to support me even before I was ready myself. So my first was with a uh, nonprofit in St. Louis called We Power. It's a really, really awesome organization. Um, and they are building economic viability for people of color in St. Louis. Um, and so I was able to talk with their executive director and see what she was looking for and really think through how I could not sell myself, but how I could actually be a fit for what it is that she was looking to do with her organization. And that's similar to how, so the first two that I got happened kind of back to back. And the other one was with the organization in Dallas that was training principals. And so they were doing work that I had just finished doing at my organization in Texas. And it was just very aligned to, um, an expertise that I felt that I had in helping them think through how to think about culturally responsive leadership with their principles. And so we were able to plan a scope and sequence for the year for what that would look like in terms of their development over the course of the year, how staff needed to be trained in order to facilitate this new type of engagement that they were doing with their principals and what additional support that they could provide beyond things that I was able to offer. And so I think that's the other great thing about having a network of folks. I want to see everybody win. And so if there's something that I can't do and I know, you know, another consulting company or another person who is in this work, I always refer them to people so that they can get exactly what they need. I try not to steer out of my lane. Yep. And so we just had someone submit a question, which was a little bit related to what we were just talking about in terms of pricing. This person asked, how do you go about doing the research? So when you were kind of setting your pricing and you were, were getting, collecting data points to inform your pricing, what data points did you collect? First, there's a tool that Erica gives everyone in her course that helps you figure out if you need to make X amount of money, you know, if these are your business expenses, if these are your personal expenses and you're going to spend 15 hours per month doing this work, what does your hourly rate need to be? And so that's what I use as my basis. Again, I was like, does this 
this seems like a lot. I don't know. And so then I spoke with some other people that I knew in the consulting business, specifically people who were doing equity consulting. And Mm -hmm. so I just asked them, you know, do you have an hourly rate? Is your hourly rate different for actual facilitation versus some of the back-end work like prepping and planning or logistics, if you have to figure that out? Has your hourly rate changed since COVID? and there's less travel. I just asked a lot of questions to about five different consultants that I knew in the field. Mm. And so they all just shared so much information with me. It was super helpful. And then I was able to feel a lot more confident in that number that I had come up with. And so tell us, what did you learn from your first consulting contract? Like when you look back on, well, and actually let me ask two clarifying questions that'll help put your answer in context. I know the answer to the first question, but are you still working full-time while you're consulting or are you full-time consulting? I am still working full-time. Awesome. So that'll that'll help kind of put this answer into context and your story into context for folks who are listening. And then for this particular contract, is this one that is still ongoing or is this a contract that you've already finished the work? I've finished the work. Okay. So when you think back to, to and reflect back on that first contract, what were some of the lessons learned that you then applied to your future contracts? So again, I had a lot of nerves when I got my first contract. Again, second guessing myself, like, do I really know what I'm doing? But once I actually got into the work and got into the planning, I was like, yes, I know exactly what I'm doing. They need to, this is the scope and sequence that needs to be followed. This is how I need the coaches to show up that are on this team. This is the training I need to give to the coaches to make sure that they're ready. And so once I got into it, it just felt much more natural, but I did have to do some mindset coaching Mm -hmm. to myself again to help get me ready to actually show up in a way that I needed to show up. And some of the things that I learned, again, the organization was just so receptive to facilitation that I did, the design that I did, and just so grateful for what I was able to provide them. And so that was another piece of evidence for me that, yes, you are in the right space and you need to stop second guessing yourself. And then I think that I spent so much time worrying about just little things like making sure my transitions were perfect and making sure, you know, all of the technical pieces. And I think I was trying to be perfect, even though my work is around disrupting perfectionism, right? And so I had to get to a place where in my next contract, again, I'm walking with, I've done this, you know, I had great reception, I had really great feedback. And so let me get to a place where I am not overanalyzing my work, but I'm producing something that I'm going to be confident in. And I'm just going to, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to lead with my gifts and do it instead of hyper-focusing on every single detail, because that just wastes time that you don't really need to spend once you are really walking in your purpose. Mm, That reminds me of something one of my business coaches says, spend your time on $10,000 decisions and not $10 decisions. (laughs) Yeah. And so, because I'm right there with you of the patterns of perfectionism in my work, of I could be spend hours on a Canva template doing something for social media. And I have to remind myself, this is a $10 decision. Right. So let me go ahead, 
click done and move on <laughs> versus like if I'm going to be spending hours on something and it needs to be something that is directly generating revenue. I think that's that's what you just shared is is extremely powerful. So when you think about your business journey, what have been the benefits of launching your consulting business? I think there's been a lot. So one, I know that you talk about financial freedom a lot for educators because I think that's a bit taboo in the education world because we're supposed to sacrifice and, you know, just do the job and not think about money. But that is, that's a huge one for me, just being able to put additional funds towards my savings, towards my do- my daughter's college savings, towards different pieces. That's been a huge benefit. Also getting to meet and work with new organizations, doing DEI work inside of your organization is rewarding, but it's also, it can also be frustrating at times because you don't see the movement happen when you're inside of it. It seems like it's moving at a snail's pace. And so doing it with other organizations, you know, where I see you once every six weeks or, you know, once every two months. And I'm like, wow, from this time to this time, all of these different things have happened. So it's a different level of reward than when you're actually in it. And so that's been really, really great to see the impact that my work has done. My work has caused other organizations has been great. And then, you know, like I said at the beginning, the vision is to eradicate racism and anti-Blackness from organizations at a, a larger scale. And so being able to see that happen slowly But to see it happen simultaneously in different organizations where they're thinking about things differently, they have different promotion structures, they're thinking about, you know, organizational policies and practices in a different way is just really, really rewarding to see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Someone asked, um, is your goal to consult full time? And if so, how will you make the decision to make the leap? I don't know if I'm clear on it yet. So I am currently the executive director of a school in Cincinnati, and I love my full-time job. There have been times where I have not loved my full-time job, but right now I'm at a place where I do. And so being able to do both has just been really, really just awesome to be able to both work on creating a school that is going to be founded on equity and inclusion and diversity while also working with organizations in all different sectors. I think that I will make that decision probably after this school is up and running and functioning. I'll be able to decide, you know, do I want to continue in this field or do I want to consult full time? Also, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to do both is that I am a single parent and health insurance is real and expensive. And so I wasn't going to jump into full-time consulting knowing that, you know, I have a daughter and, you know, kids get hurt all the time and need health insurance. So maybe if we're able to get some real universal health care, that decision might change a little quicker, but I'm, I'm just not sure yet. Yeah. I love this question. I'll just share some quick two cents just given where I am in my business. I'm a full-time doctoral student and I graduate in a few months. And one of the things that is my decision maker in terms of whether or not to go full-time is if my business is producing a level of impact and revenue that makes it a hard decision to actually go back into the workforce, then I would consider full-time. And so I think that's one of the things to consider, you know, in the the part-time to full-time transition as folks are growing your business is when you're doing both, there will be a cross intersection point where you will be limited in your impact and revenue in your business. Like you're going to hit a ceiling. And at that point, it's a matter for you to make a decision of, 
what gives you energy? What do you want to do? And I think personally for me, one of the things that I'm thinking about is that there is a, a, I'm actually losing money in my business right now. And when I say losing money, meaning I'm, there's opportunities I can't take because I'm, I'm, I have another commitment. And so part of that is being able to imagine the possibilities personally and professionally in terms of personal impact and impact in the field when it comes to being full time. So I think that's uh, I think there could be a lot of mindset work that happens in the transition. We were talking about a little bit of this last night with Rachel, the mindset stuff that comes up in transitioning from part time consulting to full time that some if there is a a mindset around scarcity of like the fear of what will happen if I go full time, that's different than if it's, oh, I actually enjoy my job. <laughs> like I want to stay here. Those yeah. are two very different scenarios. And so I just want to paint that picture for people of, you know, part of it is what do you want? Um, and whatever you want, you can go after. So uh, someone asked, how do you manage the balancing act of both while being a mom? It seems like you're doing it all so well. <laughs> I think that you have to get creative with your scheduling. I, my daughter's six and I let her stay up till one, two o'clock in the morning. Now, a lot of folks might be like, that's crazy, but it makes her sleep until 12 or one every day. And so I get a lot of my work from my full-time job done from like nine to one. Uh, she wakes up, we eat lunch together. I get her ready for her school stuff. You know, I finish up work either on my business or my full-time job or both. And then we're able to have dinner and play from like six to 10. I exercise, I go to bed. She stays up with my little sister. Um, and that's just kind of the flow that we're in. And so that works for me. Now, once we go back to school, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll have to come up with a different schedule. But the flexibility that I've had under the stay-at-home order and that type of thing has really allowed me to be creative and come up with a schedule that works for me and her. So I still spend a lot of time with her. I often joke my daughter's a Libra in like every sense of the word. So she always wants attention. She literally sits on top of me. The only reason she's not in here is because she's on FaceTime with my mom right now. Um, but she is like always right next to me, always wants to play, always wants my attention. And so I have to make sure that I'm able to give her that. Otherwise, none of this will work. Yeah. I um, love hearing you talk about your your identity as a mom. <laughs> so if folks have any final questions, go ahead and drop them in. Vanity, my last question for you is what advice would you give to educators who are in the early stage of launching their business, whether they're like on the fence, should I, should I not do it? Or they're just like super early building, what advice would you give them? Mm -hmm. um, a couple things. So one, if you are still trying to figure out, should I, or should I not? I think it's a great time to ask other colleagues, ask people that you trust, tell them, you know, I'm thinking about jumping into curriculum development part-time or, you know, as my own business and get their feedback on, what it is that you're trying to do, if they think that this is a value add in their district that they're currently in, if they know other people who are in similar fields that you could potentially talk to, but talk to your network and really get their perspective on what it is that you're trying to do. I would also say bet on yourself. So if it's something that 
has come up for you more than once, if it's something that people have suggested to you more than once, it's probably past time for you to actually do it. And so take the time and find the support. There are lots of business coaches out there. Erica's course is great. I would highly recommend that. And I I know for a fact that if I hadn't taken it, I would still be sitting there like, yeah, somebody else told me to do this today. I'm going to do it. I had my name for my company and everything like two Mm -hmm. years ago and just never actually took the steps. So that's a a great way to really hold you accountable to what it is that you want to do. Definitely suggest that. And then the third thing that I would say is just continue to learn and develop in whatever area it is that you want to eventually consult in. So take another course, go to a professional development where someone's doing something similar to what it is that you want to be doing. Just continue to pour into yourself so that once you do launch it, you really have that confidence. And that could be an opportunity where folks' money mindsets could come up of having to invest in development for themselves and their business. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think it's helpful for us to switch from the scarcity mindset to the abundance mindset is thinking about the expense of coaching or development as an investment where, and you can almost think of it as a down payment where Mm -hmm. like you're putting a down payment on your company that's then getting ready to multiply and pop like when you do the work, it's not just you got to you sit in the program and, you know, you listen to everything. You got to put in the work. But I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where they've invested in my program or even in a coach and how quickly they make their money back plus more. Yep. <laughs> and so you think of it as an investment of let me put this down in order to multiply it um, moving forward. Um, and then Vanity, we just had one last question from the audience, which is what push do you have for folks who want to explore anti-Blackness and transparently don't know where to start? How do you know you're ready? Um, So that's a great question. I think one, we have to understand that anti-Blackness is the foundation of racism and our country is built on racism and anti-Blackness. So everybody has internalized anti-Blackness to a different degree, a different level. And so it's a constant process to unpack that no matter who you are, Black, white, Asian, you know, everybody manifests anti-Blackness in some way or another. And so what I would suggest is really focusing on learning more about your identity. I'm not sure who wrote the question, but if you are a person of color, getting some literature around uh, your identity, you know, learning more about the Black experience if you're Black, learning more about the Asian experience if you're Asian, and start to really learn how race was created, right? We know theoretically race is a social construct, but it has real everyday implications for people. And so really getting to understand who you are as a person and how your identity impacts the choices and decisions that you make on a daily basis is a great way to start. If you want specific book recommendations, please message me on Shifted um, on Instagram and I can give you more specific recommendations. I just don't know who um, sent the question in, so I don't want to be off base. And Vanity, how can folks connect with you? Are there any um, opportunities that are coming up in your business that you want to share with folks? 
So you can connect with me at Shifted Consulting on Instagram. My website will be live on December 17th. So I'll be putting some updates about that on my Instagram page. You know, you're free to engage with me anywhere on my page. I love talking to people. My website will also have all of my contact information on there. My email address is vjenkins at shiftedconsulting.com. Feel free to email me there. And yeah, I look forward to continuing to engage with people. Again, recommend Erica's course. She did not ask me to do this. I just want you all to know that it was really, really great and gave me the push that I needed. So if you are looking for your next move, I would definitely recommend both her masterclass and her course. Awesome. Well, thank you, Vanity. And as we close out here, y'all show Vanity some love in the chat and just gratitude for sharing her story and taking time this evening to share her journey with us. Vanity, I am just so grateful for you. I'm grateful for you betting on yourself. I'm grateful for your business and the many, many ways that you are winning because when you're winning, the world is a better place for our kids and communities. And so I'm just so incredibly grateful that you took time tonight to share your story with us. Thank you so much, Erica. And thank you, everybody in the chat. It was a great conversation tonight. All right, y'all. Be safe. Be well. Be well.